This is Dr. Laura Gouge, and you are listening to The Practice Sessions, the podcast where we combine practical advice with powerful inspiration to support you in creating the practice of your dreams. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Dr. Eli Camp, a naturopathic doctor who's been practicing since 2005. Dr. Camp currently lectures all over the world talking about both naturopathic medicine and the business side of running a practice. She's the founder of Medicine Talk, an organization dedicated to educating the public about naturopathic medicine. In 2017, she co-founded a company called Vital Health Publishing. She's currently on the board of the Naturopathic Medicine Institute and the Homeopathic Academy of Naturopathic Physicians. While Dr. Camp is currently on sabbatical, prior to that, she ran a small and very successful concierge practice. My co-host for today's episode is Emily Whitson, one of the co-founders of this podcast and currently a third-year naturopathic medical student at NUNM. In today's interview, Dr. Camp answers all of our questions about telemedicine. She talks about how to get started in business and the basics of marketing, and she busts a lot of myths about both practicing in an unlicensed state and getting started with doing telemedicine. So I really recommend listening to this episode might want to sit down and take some notes because she gives some great resources. Dr. Camp is just such a wealth of information, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Good morning, Dr. Camp. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast this morning. Good morning. So the first question we love to start out with is just, can you tell us, for anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with your work, a little bit about you, a little bit about your practice right now? Sure. So I'm a naturopathic doctor, graduated from Southwest College in 2015. And I started with a pretty typical brick and mortar practice, but that very quickly morphed into more of a concierge or annual wellness practice, which once we talk about more things today, you'll realize that I really only have time for a small practice. So I'm not full-time, right? I work just part-time and currently I'm on sabbatical. So I'll be coming back at the end of this year. It's been a two-year sabbatical, but I'll come back to a small practice. So can you explain just what exactly a concierge practice is? I hear that term all the time, but I'm not sure how it works. Different people define it in slightly different ways. I'm going to give you my definition. (laughs) So I believe that the kind of medicine we practice as naturopathic doctors is much more conducive to a model where we can actually spend a significant amount of time with people getting to know them, understanding what imbalances have led their body to express symptoms of illness, and then coming up with a very individualized treatment plan that can restore balance to their system, thereby restoring them to health. And I've watched many doctors, not just naturopathic doctors, all different kinds of doctors and healers throughout my life and throughout my career sort of try to figure out how they can have a practice where they can earn a living and they can practice the kind of medicine they want to practice. So for those who want to practice that more core naturopathy where you're spending that time with people, the practice model of a brick and mortar seeing five patients an hour doesn't really work well to achieve the ends of that sort of core naturopathic medicine. And 
So basically, just in a nutshell, people hire me for a year at a time. Then there's lots of ways to onboard people, which we can talk more about if you want. But you get them into the practice, and then basically they hire you for a year. And you do play that sort of central role of coalescing, integrating, you know, all of the different information that they're getting from different types of practitioners and helping them figure out what is best for them in restoring their health. In a nutshell, that's that's how I define concierge. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting and different from um, from a student perspective, what we hear about and what we have exposure to as we're learning more about naturopathic medicine and the ways that it works in the world and what it can offer. Will you tell us a little bit about the process of onboarding clients? Sure. And uh, because I teach business and I serve as a business coach and am exposed to many different models, I can tell you that I cannot comprehensively cover it all for you, but I can That's give you fair. some ideas, right? So sure. some folks will create packages or I like to encourage people to actually use the word program instead of package, where it's a set amount of time, four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks. It really depends on how you've chosen to create a marketing niche for yourself. And I just have to preface this with, (laughs) we market in one way so that we can really clearly define a target market and speak a language that gets people interested and then um, involved with us as doctors. But as naturopathic doctors, we know that we're not really treating disease, we're treating people. And when people come in, even though they may be diagnosed with, say, hypothyroidism, it's not hypothyroid we're treating. We're basically figuring out why does this person start exhibiting the symptoms that are classified as hypothyroidism. So You have these programs where they're limited in time. People come and they work with you and they start to feel a lot better and you can transition them from that program or as I mentioned, some people call them packages or jump starts um, into working with you on a more either six month or one year basis. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to have people sort of sign up for a membership in your uh, program in its entirety, and then they get a discount on the visits with you. So you have a set income in part, and then you bill for the a portion, right? That's a discounted rate. I do it a little bit differently. So I don't have jumpstart packages or programs or a membership model that then gives them discounts. I basically developed an annual wellness plan that contains an approximate number of visits, phone calls, emails, time with me, some extra things like going shopping, doing a home visit where I inspect the home for environmental issues, etc. And it's a price and it's a price that varies based on two things, the number of people in the family and the severity of or the, I'll say, state of dis-ease or unhealthfulness um, when they first come to me and how much work is ahead of us. And most of my folks pay me in December if they have remaining sort of health savings money or in January for the year. Rarely will I set up a payment plan, but for someone who needs that, I will consider that. Did you always know that you wanted to have this type of practice? No, 
My dream was always a little white picket fence with a beautiful little practice in what looked like a house setting in a, you know, small to medium-sized town where I was great friends with the other doctors and nurses and healers in town. And they appreciated me for my distinct and separate type of medicine that I offered from them. And I appreciated them for the sort of medicine that they offered. That was my dream. And and I actually did start that way when I came out of school because I opened a practice with four other naturopathic doctors, all women. And we went to New Hampshire and we found a great, you know, sort of New England home that had been converted. It was beautiful. It's a great story how we found it. And it had a white picket fence, actually. <laughs> and a holistic doctor, uh, dentist that worked out of the back of the house. He actually owned the house. And it was awesome. And yet, uh, after a very short period of time, my restless spirit, so I have a restless spirit. Um, I, I didn't know that sitting in an office day in and day out and having people come to me was the best model for me, but I didn't know what else it could look like until it was a few years down the road. And I started exploring and investigating and listening to other practitioners and other doctors and other kinds of healers describe you know, the models that, that they had put together. And uh, as soon as I heard it, like I heard lots of different things over time, but I knew as soon as I heard this kind of structure for a practice that this was really what I wanted to explore further. And I've never looked back since. That totally makes sense. I think the dream you described is a really common one. I know just within the community, when I hear people talk about their dream practice, it often involves working with other practitioners in a neighborhood and renovating a house. Mm -hmm. But I really relate to what you said of so many people nowadays have that travel spirit. You know, they want to be able to work from anywhere. Right. And it seems like so much of medicine in general, uh, naturopathic and conventional, is going more in this direction. Right. Of being able to support our patients from anywhere in the world. So I'm curious if, because I know you mentioned that you do home visits sometimes, you work with people in a lot of different capacities. Are most of your patients in Oklahoma where you are now, or are they online? So we have to go pre-sabbatical, which... Of course. Uh, okay. So at the time that I decided to take my sabbatical, my patients were all over the world. There was a portion of them here in Oklahoma. There were some in New Hampshire and some in Florida because in each of those places at one time, I actually had a, well, not Oklahoma, but I, in New Hampshire and Florida, I actually had a practice location for a short period of time in Florida because it was in Florida that I actually made the official switch to this sort of annual wellness program plan. So I had concentrations in those three states and I would travel to each of those three states and I would uh, office share with someone in New Hampshire who I still office share with her. And then in Florida, there was a local chiropractor that let me use space. And in Oklahoma, I never really had a practice space, right? So because of the sorts of folks that started to come to me very early in my career, 
I think I had a unique opportunity to develop this international uh, sort of practice where I was doing consults via, um, you know, a video interface or on the telephone if it was a short follow-up. And so when I took my sabbatical, it was just a really broad mix. So small percentage local to me, um, the majority not local to me, but but all over the world, Australia, Canada, Spain, England, um, you know, other states in the U.S., etc., that's that's fascinating, and I think uh, that's pretty unique to to what we hear um, from other physicians. But I know the world of telemedicine, um, if that's kind of how you refer to it, is like we said, a burgeoning field. Have there been any hurdles, or we might even say nightmare moments, in trying to figure out how to expand your practice while staying sane? Not yeah. My nightmare career moments really aren't about my practice. They're probably in my other endeavors that I'm involved with. But I can tell you some of the challenges that I've faced over the years after deciding to have this kind of practice. And the first one, the big one, which I, I worked with a legal team and I worked with a number of people who actually have knowledge, not just hearsay in their brains about what we can and can't do, was in figuring out what could I do? Well, how exactly was I going to interact with people all over the place? And, you know, in what capacity was I going to serve them and still be practicing my medicine legally? And when I first started, things were much grayer and more nebulous than they have become over the last four or five years in that naturopathic doctors hadn't really, in large numbers, ventured into this kind of practice. And so folks sort of ignored us. Like, we were you know, flying under the radar, so to speak, and not really worth people following up and figuring out what we were doing, etc. But because more and more of us have ventured into practicing in this way, we're, we're now a blip on the radar. And we are held to the same kind of laws as any other doctor practicing medicine, if that's what you're doing. And to figure out if that's what you're doing, I sort of uh, have this little exercise I take people through and I tell them, if you can stand in front of a judge and say, I'm not practicing medicine, I'm doing X, Y, or Z, but I'm not practicing medicine. If you can stand in front of a judge and say that, and it's truthful and you believe that, then probably what you're doing is relatively safe. But if anything that you're doing can be construed as practicing medicine, then you have to follow the same laws that everybody else, every other doctor has to follow. And so just a quick rundown on those because they're super easy, is that the laws that govern telemedicine are the laws that are, they're attached to the patient and where the patient lives. So if in, if the patient is in a state, and now I'll just narrow my focus here specifically to naturopathic doctors. So if the patient is in a state that offers licensure to naturopathic doctors, you have to hold a license in that state. If the patient lives in a state that does not license naturopathic doctors, then you have to follow whatever laws in that state are followed by the naturopathic doctors that live in that state. So in other words, if you're not allowed to practice medicine in that state, then you can't do that whether you live there or whether you're working with someone by telephone. It's that simple, 
right, as far as the laws go. So what do I do? Well, I work as a consultant. I don't work as a primary care doctor, and I'm very careful that what I do is not or cannot be interpreted as practicing medicine. And that there's a whole number of, of things that I have put into place to ensure that I can stand in front of a judge, should I be called there, and say I'm not practicing medicine, I'm consulting. So what sort of things have you put in place? Is it certain paperwork that your patients would sign, or is it something more than that? Well, it's uh, the paperwork wouldn't protect you, right, necessarily. But I have a services offered uh, sort of document that says I am consulting and I ask that you have a primary care physician that I can, you know, turn a report into or I can give you a report of our visit. And you can give it to your primary care physician. So part of it is in, you know, services offered document that I go over with them and they sign. But more importantly, it's in what I do with them and the information I give them, what I uh, consult with them to do or not to do. It's in that everyday interaction and in the final report that I compile for every person that I work with. And that includes, it's something I call the literature review method. And interestingly, this was something that uh, legal counsel helped the Florida naturopathic doctors understand because it's a felony in Florida to practice medicine without a license. Right. Not just naturopaths, but just in general. In Florida, you can't practice medicine without a license, and clearly they don't offer a license to naturopathic doctors. So in Florida, we had to really create a way that we could still give our information to people, but it not in any way be construed as practicing medicine. So we call this the literature review method, where we're really just interpreting literature that's in the public domain for people who come in. It... Uh, basically gives them a sort of a skeleton of what is possible and we prepare a very comprehensive report that includes references and citations of literature accessed um, and I mean this this is how we're able to deliver our knowledge of naturopathic medicine to an individual regardless of where they live, where we live, and whether it's in person or it is via video or phone consultations. It's like the pinnacle of evidence-based medicine in some ways, because that's a huge part of guiding the information you're providing, it sounds like. It um, is. It is. And it's very interesting. I, I just, I want to make a comment for your listeners, because I talk about this all the time, every week, maybe even every day where people are bringing up this idea of whether naturopathic doctors actually believe in or practice by evidence-based medicine, EBM. And the really interesting thing to me is that there is a perception sometimes that a naturopathic doctor like myself, who believes in pretty core uh, naturopathic medicine, some people call it vitalism, some people call it, you know, old naturopathic medicine, some people call it nature cure, whatever. Um, it's a way of, you know, right, looking at a person and saying, uh, uh, realizing that there are symptoms because there's imbalance. And so when you come from this sort of perspective, you're always asking, what is the imbalance in this person that led to the symptoms of illness? And what do I need to correct so that the body can be restored to balance, i.e. health, and the symptoms go away? 
And in order to do that, there's this there's this uh, this method of understanding the literature and studies that are done, not just from the field of um, conventional medicine, but from the field of medicine and biology and chemistry and physics and this very large body of evidence that exists that may or may not be accepted within conventional medicine, but nonetheless, the research is being done and it's being published, and so. I would say that uh, by preparing these literature reviews and still being able to practice, you know, vitalistic naturopathic medicine or nature care, whatever label you want to give it, by pairing these together, um, it's become really clear to me that evidence is, is very important, but what evidence are you accessing? What research are you reading and how are you applying it to what you do? That becomes, you know, the real benefit that keeps us safe as naturopathic doctors in today's um, medicine, world of medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just to piggyback on that concept shortly before we move on, is there a role in your eyes for uh, writing up case papers and producing more literature and evidence from the telemedicine field? Yes. I, I think that, well, of course, when we look at evidence, we know there's all different kinds, right? There's um, clinical and there's quantitative and there's empirical and there's, you know, formal research studies where you've gotten an IRB submitted and improved and you, you're conducting a trial. So I do believe that there is a place for case reviews or case discussion or case submission. Absolutely. And it would fill one of those sort of slots of the types of evidence that needs to be collected in medicine, all kinds of medicine. So, yeah, I, I do think uh, we should have a way to submit those. And it's interesting that you asked that question because one of the things that the Homeopathic Academy of Naturopathic Physicians uh, has been discussing, so right, we support uh, homeopathy within the field of naturopathic medicine and, you know, promoting its excellence and mentoring and education, etc. is years and years and years ago, doctors practicing homeopathy, regardless of the type of doctor, had a way to submit their cases and the results of their treatment uh, using homeopathic medicine. And that kind of died off uh, to some degree over the last 30 years. And we recently had a conversation about how, how could some group get that going again so we could go back to collecting this kind of evidence. Yeah, I think that that sounds super valuable to me. I'm a student of homeopathy, and the more information, the better. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I want to go back to just what you were saying about telemedicine, because I feel like everything I know about it is something that I heard from another doctor, or it feels like unreliable sources of information. So for anyone listening who's interested in starting to do telemedicine, Would you advise that they consult with a lawyer before getting started? Or do you feel like there's enough out there that they can safely start doing this? I'm not even sure how to finish that question, but like, how would you begin getting started and doing it responsibly? So when I teach my business seminar, I am emphatic on the uh, need for someone to have uh, a legal person on their team, on their business team. 
regardless yeah. of what you're going to do, what you're going to offer. I think having legal counsel is important. And I don't know if you or your listeners know about a company called Legal Shield, but I've been a member of Legal Shield for years and years. And when I coach someone and they don't have legal representation, I always tell them about it okay. because right? For a very small amount of money, you can have a 24-7 attorney uh, that you can reach out to. So it's just, y'all can do your own research on it. Um, but I think absolutely you start, well, you don't start by talking to a lawyer. You, of course, you start with a business plan and a marketing plan. And in the course of doing that, you need to talk to an attorney about what it is your vision is, right? What do you want to do? What do you see yourself doing with people? How do you want to interact with people? What are you trying to accomplish with the business that you want to start? And it, that may seem like a duh moment. Well, I want to be a doctor and help people, but there's a way more finesse to it than that. There are certain types of people you might want to work with, certain conditions you want to specialize in. Again, I, I say that loosely because I don't I don't believe naturopaths treat conditions. I think we treat people. But you still have to be in this conventional world where everyone else thinks of a doctor treating a condition. So once you define all that, once you know exactly what that looks like for you, do you want to do video? Do you want to require um, an in-person visit and then you continue the relationship? Do you want to work as a consultant? Do you actually want to work as primary care? Like what do you want to do? Once you understand that, then you can, should I highly encourage people to sit down and talk to an attorney who specializes in medical practice in um, not only your state, but as I mentioned, the laws that govern telemedicine reside with the patient, right? They belong to the patient and where they live. So you might actually end up having to talk to a number of different attorneys to understand the state that the patient lives in. That totally makes sense. And that's really valuable as a place to start. I'm curious, uh, we hear about the ways to practice naturopathic medicine in unlicensed states um, can be, more opportunities can open up if you work under the medical license of an MD that is licensed in that state and they can kind of uh, provide patients. Is that um, something that's happening in telemedicine also? Is there a way to kind of coordinate with an MD in the state where the patient resides and maybe have more opportunity to broaden the scope of telemedicine that way? Okay, those were a lot of questions, a lot of yeah. different questions I need to answer <laughs> separately. So let's go back to the very first one. There's an assumption there that you can legally work underneath another healthcare practitioner in an unlicensed state. So first, let's talk about that because that is an Great. untruth. Okay. That's not true. There are a few states uh, and I cannot give them to you off the top of my head, unfortunately, but there are a few states where you can do that and you are not practicing as a naturopathic doctor. You are a consultant, a, a natural health consultant of sorts in the states that will do that. Now, that doesn't mean that people aren't doing it in the states where they shouldn't be doing it, but they're not supposed to be doing it. So in any state where a naturopathic doctor is not licensed to practice medicine, you're not actually supposed to be advertising yourself as a naturopathic doctor practicing medicine or practicing naturopathy. But there's not enough of us 
that we are causing a problem in most of these places. Now Florida, I, I use Florida as a model state because I'm intimately familiar with how it works there. They actively seek out naturopathic doctors in Florida. They watch your website. They look at your advertisements. And if you even cross one toe over that line, they will give you a cease and desist. In It's not as stringent in other states. So in Oklahoma, right, where two farmers still going opposite directions on a busy road will still stop their trucks to talk about their cows. I mean, they don't really care. We, we have a doctor shortage in the state and none of the naturopaths here are really causing any problems or doing anything dangerous. So in a state like Oklahoma, they it's not necessarily any more legal than anywhere else, but they don't look closely enough or monitor. Now, if I were to put stitches in someone, or I were trying to prescribe antibiotics, which I wouldn't do anyway because it's not part of my philosophy of, of practicing naturopathic medicine. But if I tried to do that, I would now pop on the radar in a big way and somebody would probably come say something to me. Right. So, That's a good point. Right. So there are, so that was the first assumption that you can work under someone's license. You, you rarely is that true. Even though it's happening, it's not supposed to. Right. So just to be clear, because I, I just think this is really interesting and I'm hearing a lot about this from colleagues of mine. You know, I've been hearing stories of naturopathic doctors opening clinics in unlicensed states and then hiring, say, a nurse practitioner to call in prescriptions. Like essentially you're saying like this is that is not. Well, they're safe. doing it, but they shouldn't do it because yeah. they're not supposed to be practicing medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that clarification. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then uh, now that I went to that long explanation, I forgot the second part of the question. I was curious, which maybe we have more clarification on that now, but how telemedicine might work within that concept of having oh, I see. someone yeah. who is licensed. Yeah. Right. So you can work with other healthcare professionals as long as what you're doing is like I first described my practices. If I'm a consultant... And I'm not using, you know, practicing uh, medicine sort of uh, approach to it, but I'm a consultant, like I work for the doctor and they're referring their patients to me for um, a naturopathic consultation. That is a much more uh, legal and stable model, but it's very different. So one of the things that I think our profession as a whole has lost a perception of is the difference between the states like Washington, Oregon, Arizona, California, and even some of the northeastern states like New Hampshire or Vermont, where licensing has been in place for a number of years. And these states have consistently gone to have their scope expanded, and there has been a push for a more integrative way of practicing naturopathic medicine, which looks much more like the conventional model. Um, with greater awareness of nutrition and lifestyle and, you know, things like that. But it, it, it's a very sort of blurred version of naturopathic medicine of 40 years ago and of naturopathic medicine as practiced in unlicensed states, which takes me to the second part of that. So you have people in these states where they have broad scope, where the, the way they practice naturopathic medicine has shifted and changed over the years. Now you've got this 
other group of naturopathic doctors practicing in unlicensed states or in states that have licensure without a scope, they have been, I don't want to say forced to because none of the ones that I know in my circle um, are unhappy about the way they have their practices set up or the way they practice naturopathic medicine, but they have sort of maintained the practice of naturopathic medicine as it was in its inception and as it was taught years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And they have no problem practicing what they practice because it's a distinct and separate uh, approach to to health, to medicine. And it, it doesn't, it's not blurred. It's a very clear distinction. And so we, we almost have two professions at this point, simply from a very practical point uh, perspective, because one, you have states where they're licensed to practice one way and everybody else doesn't have that. Yeah. Does right. that make sense? Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. And I know Emily and I both came through the system here in Oregon. And so our training has really been in the integrative model. Yes. I think most of what we know about how it works in unlicensed state is just what we've heard from other people because we right. really come through this integrative model where we have a full scope to prescribe medication. So that's what we learn in school. And, you know, the teaching clinic here takes Medicaid. So, right. you know, we see patients who have insurance and Right. You know, patients who aren't even trying to come to a naturopathic doctor. They're just assigned a primary care home. Exactly. And it hurts my heart a little bit that, that uh, leaders in our profession haven't actually realized the uh, what I see as a core issue, which is there there you do have two groups of NDs now well two groups of NDs practicing very differently however everything in my mind is a spectrum a bell curve right so even in those states Washington Oregon California Arizona uh, New Hampshire Vermont I use those states in particular because of the scope they have even in those states there are a significant number of naturopathic doctors who say well I don't want to do that if I wanted to do that, that's the I would have chose a different type of medical school. I actually want to practice more like the people who practice in unlicensed states. And you want to know something very interesting is the Oklahoma Association just recently had a meeting where we actually had a discussion of do we even want scope on our bill? Mm. And the majority of the folks at that meeting, which I think is actually the majority of the NDs in the state, because we don't have that many here, uh, we don't. We, we have no desire to add pharmaceutical scope because we don't need it. We, we practice naturopathic medicine very effectively without it. And just as a side note, what, what are people looking for? What is the public looking for? You have to always ask that question. Now, I think it depends where you're at and what the public perceives their choices uh, displayed in front of them to be. Like if you don't know something's a choice, then you, you don't know you can choose it. So in places where it's very clear that there are different kinds of medicine that you can choose from that are very separate and distinct from one another, the public clearly knows what they can choose. And in those places, if you ask yourself, what is the public looking for, then you know who you can be because you know the type of doctor that supplies what they're looking for. In places where it's not so clearly defined, the public doesn't even, I think, realize 
the very different choices they have in front of them because it starts to sort of look like the same thing, but different degreed people are, are, are offering that sort of similar service. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It definitely does. And I think you bring up just a really thoughtful discussion of the changes that have been happening in our profession. Yeah. And like the, both like the benefits and what is lost as we've grown bigger, because as our scopes have expanded, we've gotten increased exposure, more and more people are familiar with our work. And that's a great thing. But at the same time, as we integrate, we lose more of the foundations of what made our profession be distinct in the first place. Yes, yes. And I want to be really clear that I'm not assigning right or wrong or good or bad to anything I've just said. Mm -hmm. It just is. And right. <laughs> And if you don't, if you, if you, we don't see it and become aware of it and understand it, then, you know, we do ourselves a disservice, both as practitioners, as people, and, and as a profession at large. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have a question that is somewhat related to telemedicine, but I think a lot more just, I'm really curious because I know you do so much teaching in business and you have knowledge in this area, but for somebody who is getting started in their career and they're trying to figure out what type of marketing strategy they're going to utilize to tell the world that they exist. In this day and age, where would you recommend people get started? Because there's so much information out there about websites, social media, using the internet. More of the old school docs would say, do talks, get out in the community, meet people. I'm just so curious from your point of view, and I realize you could probably teach a whole course on that, but where would you get started? Well, I do teach a whole course on this. It's, oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the blue, it's the blueprint for business, right? And mm -hmm. the answer to that is going to be more nebulous than what you're looking for. It, first, before you do anything, and I'm just going to say as a business person, as an entrepreneur, as someone who's going to own some kind of, of business, you have to gain clarity on what it is you want to do. Everything flows from that point. Everything. And so, it, I mean, I can tell you things that you already know, which, which is that there's a lot of different ways to market yourself. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Right, you know, we, we all know this, but what you choose to do for your marketing activities, even the very first thing that you do, really depends on what it is you're trying to build. Because some, some avenues of marketing are not going to work nearly as well as some others. It, it's, I know you want something more concrete than that, but it really depends on what you want to do. If I'm going to build a brick and mortar somewhere, which I know we're talking about telemedicine, and I'll come to that in a second. But if I'm going to build a brick and mortar and I know where I'm going and I've written my business plan and I've created a marketing plan, that marketing plan would include creating a network among professionals. It would include becoming integrated into the community. So volunteering and sitting on a board or a city council. It would include doing regular talks. And people say all the time, talks don't work, I've done it. Well, that's simply not true. You haven't done it the right way. You can't say, I tried to fix my leaking pipe in my sink and it didn't work, so now I'm not going to fix it. 
Well, <laughs> you didn't fix it the right way, right? There are more or less effective ways of doing things. So giving talks, there's a strategy to it. You, you have to first be talking about the right things to the right audience um, in the right location at the right frequency over the best uh, period of time to get results. So there's a lot of other things you would do brick and mortar. For telemedicine, there's an entire strategy, again, based on what it is you want to do. Do you want to work with people one-on-one -on -one, or do you want to work with groups of people? Do you, it just, it can be so, so different, but it would still involve giving a talk, but you would give a talk in a different way. It would be more of an online presence. And then you would work with groups to bring you in um, locally to those areas where whatever it is that was your niche is very prevalent, then you would want to go in person and start to build pockets of community. This is what I did. And it's one of, of a number of different successful strategies, but I went to specific places in the world where there were already pockets of people that I was working with. And so you have this uh, uh, synchronous and uh, simultaneous expansion of these concentric centers, right, of people that already know you. And eventually over time, those, those concentric sort of uh, centers start to overlap as they grow. And so you not only are known to one community, but you're known to two communities who also happen to know each other. And so the perception of you as being a trusted provider and someone who knows what they're doing starts to really become very concrete and word of mouth starts to spread very rapidly. So when I took sabbatical uh, a year and a half ago, almost a year and a half ago now, I had a two-year waiting list. And it's one of the reasons why I decided to take a sabbatical is because I really <laughs> needed to step away. And I, I don't like to tell people who are in need, no, it, it's hard. If I know how to help, it's very hard for me to say no and know that they're going to suffer. Now, part of my spiritual beliefs is that everyone has their own journey that they have to walk. And so ultimately I am able to say no, but it doesn't mean that it hurts my heart less. And so understanding that, what you're understanding, what you're creating, intimately understanding it, knowing who your target market is, those things, and then that clarity, right? The very, very clear on what it is you're offering. That's how you decide the marketing things that you need to start and then go forward with. I really appreciate that answer, actually, because, you know, what I've seen so much in the time since I've graduated is I think... People are wanting to rush, like, I've got to get started. There's this urgency to building a business and becoming successful. And the reason that it feels hard and confusing is that it is gray. That, you know, I can think of some specific friends of mine who weren't clear on what exactly it is they were trying to create and who it is they wanted to market to. Right. And so I actually really appreciate what you said, because I think it is totally true. There, there are so many marketing strategies and it just, you have to be really, really, really clear on what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so I appreciate that. So is the business class that you teach open to anyone or just for students? No, it's open to anyone. I mean, I t actually teach it in a uh, sort of altered form to other professions as well. Pharmacists, DOs, MDs, oriental, doctors of oriental medicine, chiropractors. Um, so there's, there's two ways to be able to participate in this. I go to almost all of the schools. 
and I have a schedule on my website, medicinetalkpro.org, of when I'm going to be where. And actually, I was working with someone at NUNM to bring me in, but I haven't heard from them in a month or so. So right now, I'm going to be at Bastyr in San Diego in April. I'll be up at NUHS in May. I'll be at Southwest College in October. And then uh, probably uh, Bridgeport and... Uh, maybe NUNM will have to be next year. I don't know. So in person and students, doctors, um, anyone can come to that uh, when I'm at the school. I also have an entire online, the entire seminar is available online. And I always tell people, if you have the chance to come work with me for that weekend and do it live, I'm so much better live. I really am. Um, And plus, you know, you can bring your questions. The flavor of every uh, blueprint seminar that I do is different because I get different questions. And as our medicine evolves and the way of practicing our medicine evolves and the business models evolve, it's, it's something different each time. But for people who can't travel, I did create an online version and it's not available today because I'm uh, doing a website redesign. And so it's going to be another couple of weeks before it can be purchased online. But it all comes with coaching and it comes with, you know, working with me um, in a Facebook group that I jump on once a week and I can answer questions. Um, I also really believe that the more perspectives that you can have, especially in business, the better served you are. And so I really reach out to the community to work with people who I know are successful, not just people who have an MBA or who theoretically know how to run a business, but folks that I've watched and I know are very successful and not just at building a practice and making money. Because for me, because I'm a naturopath, because I'm a homeopath, I believe that a system has to be balanced. So I I look to people who have a good home life, who have reached that balance of being very successful, but not working 60 hours a week to achieve that success. And so I bring folks in like Dr. Leslie Caesar and other business people that I can see with my own two eyes that I've experienced over the years that they have found this. That's so inspiring. I just want to personally vouch for going into the Blueprint for Business very confused. I think I took it last year at NUNM and um, with kind of that scarcity, like desperation mindset. And I came out so inspired, really fired up. And you provided a lot of tools that were really practical. And I really continue to look forward to gaining that clarity with my own vision. And I'm not scared about talking about business anymore. So I just want to thank you for that. And if any of the listeners um, have an opportunity to attend, I would highly encourage it from even a student perspective, even before that clarity is uh, already rooted, just to get the ideas rolling. So thank you, Dr. Camp. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I just have kind of a, a little bit of a more broad question um, as we round to a close about what you envision for the future of naturopathic medicine, having acknowledged that there's been a little bit of a split that's developed, maybe because of the licensure and the, the differences in the ways naturopathic medicine is being practiced throughout this country. So what, it, what do you kind of envision um, ideally for the future of the naturopathic field? Have you ever heard the song Renegades? Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Okay, well, when we're done, go listen to that song. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and <laughs> sort of retrofit it to my answer. So I'm a little okay. bit of a renegade. 
And I also have a very blue skies approach to life because I think anything is possible. I believe anything is possible. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to think it. And I also believe that unless you understand everything that is possible, you cannot have thoughts about it, right? So the culture who didn't have wheels didn't have a word for wheels. Doesn't mean you can't think of it, but until you know what is possible, it's hard to have thoughts about it. So I preface my answer with all of that because this is what I hope for the future of our profession, that we remain distinct and separate from the other medicine that is practiced, that we return the schools return to a much more foundational type of education. And from there, people can choose how they want to use that foundational training to build different types of practices. So if you have NDs who are much more integrative in the way they think and more conventionally minded, they can find a way to choose a residency that sculpts them from their foundational training as a naturopathic doctor into a more integrative uh, conventional type of practitioner. And then imagine a spectrum from that type of practitioner all the way with many, many, many different kinds of practices in between to the person who is a more foundational thinker or has the desire to be a more foundational naturopathic doctor who doesn't use, right? The drugless physician is how we were always known. No surgery, no drugs, but who knows clearly when an individual working with them needs to be referred to someone who can utilize uh, the more conventional or integrative approach because that person needs it. Because without it, they'll die. Or for whatever, whatever sort of delineator that is. And that all of us identify as naturopathic doctors, that we celebrate how each of us chooses to practice, whether it's all the way to the one side of the part. Uh, spectrum of being more conventional to the one who has the greater desire to be more vitalistic and that we realize kind of like the people on the earth right now we're one it's one community of people we just happen to be a subset of that community and that if we all have the same foundational training then we all can speak each other's language then we're making a choice of how we want to apply that foundational training and the day-to-day -day practices and interactions with people. I love that answer. Thank you. I yeah. think we both do. <laughs> well, so I just want to say thank you so much for being so generous with your time to come on the podcast with us today. And I think I can speak for both of us and just saying that it's so inspiring what you're doing with both practicing medicine and being such an advocate for naturopaths and really supporting us in business. Because I think it could be true, you could it could be true to say that most doctors don't necessarily have a foundation in business, no matter what type of medicine they're practicing. Right. So I just love the work you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thank you for the work you're doing as well. And hopefully our paths will cross the three of yeah. us. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Thanks absolutely. again, Dr. Camp. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Practice Sessions. If you enjoyed the interview, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. For show notes and more information, visit our website at www.thepracticesessionspodcast.com.